Bob Raglan from Forsyth County. Um, right now, local municipalities are not able to take advantage of tax credits. And I ran across an article, I think it was on the Clean Cities website, I believe, about a mechanism that dealerships are able to take advantage of these tax credits and pass them on to municipalities. And whether uh, you, you might know or someone might know about that and be able to, to talk about it a little bit. I heard you say earlier that that was really not your area of expertise. You know about uh, uh, incentive funding. Is there anybody? Yes, through Steve. If you want to come up and respond to that, you can. Can people hear him? Run, run to the center or come up here, whichever is shorter. question about uh, tax-exempt entities getting the federal tax credits for vehicles as well as for stations. Uh, the credits go to the buyer of a vehicle or station equipment. However, they have been made so that they are transferable tax credits. And these credits can be passed along with a couple of stipulations about they have to be stated what the possible value of the tax credit is for the vehicle, which is very clearly stipulated based on the gross vehicle weight rating. And then what you do is, if you're, let's just take a town, if you're a town that wants to buy, let's say, a, a dump truck and you want to make it natural gas or, uh, it, it wouldn't apply to biodiesel in that sense because there's certain ones that it applies to. But if you want to buy that vehicle, that vehicle's over 26,000 pounds, it has a possible tax credit of $32,000, but for the town it's not worth anything, it's just a piece of paper. You take that and go to the dealers that you're going to work with and you let them know that in your RFP, you want them to state what is the amount of that tax credit that they'll be taking, and then how much of that tax credit will they be passing back to you? Because the dealer will want to keep part of it. They'll keep part of it for the paperwork, the fact that they're giving you a, a discount up front and then not actually seeing the benefit of it until the end of the year when they don't really know exactly what their taxes are going to be. But getting something for that rather than getting nothing because it's just the tax credit. The other, the other option, and this is true for municipalities, is that there are a number of funding agencies out there that specialize in helping towns fund municipal projects, whether it's building of schools or buying buses when you don't have the capital budget to do that. And this would be done in what's called a capital lease operation, like a municipal services group that helps you buy vehicles. And what they're doing is they're leasing them to you under a capital lease where you actually own the title and their plan is to actually give you that vehicle at the end of the lease because it's built into your cost per mile. They, as a tax entity can actually take the $32,000 tax credit, figure it into their overall cost of depreciation, and then give that back to you in the cost of a lower cost per month or a lower cost per mile. So you're still getting the benefit or at least partial benefit of the tax credit, even though you as an entity don't have a tax statement. That's, That's the way that works. Thank, thank you very much. We've also got some uh, spontaneous uh, informed response here on the same subject from Dan, Bessie, and Michael. Yeah, we just wanted to mention that we, are, we cannot recall the specifics of the legislation on this point, but Pricey uh, Harrison, who you heard from earlier today, has put in uh, energy legislation on the state level, um, along with Joe Tolson and other leaders in the Senate, that we believe may speak to uh, enabling municipalities in a similar fashion to take um, 
advantage of tax credit for the more efficient vehicles. Um, I would encourage you actually to contract uh, Pricey, who is a leader in this area, or your, uh, your own local legislator and inquire about that. Certainly if it's not in the bill now, this is the stage at which legislation can be shaped and amended to include opportunity, similar opportunities like that. And I know that, that, that Pricey is very interested in this area, is a real leader in, <coughs> in developing it at the state level. I'm Steve Jarrett from Salisbury. Uh, Mr. Arnold, you mentioned earlier about the possibility of grants uh, for mom and pops to conversions. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that, please? Absolutely. The, the Green Business Fund will be specifically designed for small to medium-sized businesses. So I think they're targeting less than, than 100 employees. Um, certainly on the sort of retail infrastructure side of biofuels, I, get, I cited the example, sort of mom-and-pop gas stations. My understanding is the tank conversion to switch from traditional to E85, for example, can be cost prohibitive to some of those small to medium-sized businesses. And so we want to take a look at ways to incent that, and we're looking at anywhere from ten to $25,000 grants to help, help, you know, it's not the full cost. My understanding is it's anywhere from, I think, what Larry... 75,000, 60 to 100,000 essentially to do those tank conversions. But, but what can we do to help incentivize that? And so that's the example of the type of activity that we'd like to fund through the Green Business Fund. But certainly I th broader than that, I mean, you know, production, distribution, retail infrastructure, those are all areas that we'd be interested in funding through the Green Business Fund as it relates to, to, to biofuels. Yes, Dirk Gortman, Gortman Biofuels, out of Winston-Salem. Uh, when I started building this company, I went to look for the grants and the tax incentives and all this. Well, there's so many loopholes and so much you got to do, and you got so much money you got to spend on the lawyers to figure out the, how to get into it to get the grants. Are you going to make it any easier on us to be able let, to get let, let, let me ask you just two questions. Okay. Is what you do good for the environment? Yes. And you think that what you do produces a good economic benefit? Yes, I do. Sir, you're a candidate for the Green Business Fund. Okay. Well, then that's what no, no further loopholes beyond that. So, in other so. words, I am going to show up with the, my portfolio, what I think I'll produce or what i You know, there's going to be a review committee to take a look. I'm sure there's going to be a wide range of, of projects that, that apply for this funding. It, we're talking an initial $15 million, but it's something that we're committed to growing over time. You know. Right. Lieutenant Governor was, was part of the leadership that started the Clean Water Management Trust Fund in North Carolina. And again, started with an initial investment that she helped grow significantly over the time and now has given out hundreds of millions of dollars to help water quality in this state. Uh, we envision the same type of model for the Green Business Fund. Okay, so what, what, but, but not a lot of, you know, the, one of the caveats is that it has to be a business less than 100 employees, but, but right. the, the legislation is not filled with all kinds of loopholes and things that are... It is designed to be less restrictive, not more restrictive. Okay. Then, that's, then if, if they will help us, that's good. But like I said, it's, I mean, I ended up having to pull it out of my pocket to do this. That's right. That's right. And, and quite honestly, I mean, you know, obviously I don't know your business per se, but, but that is the type of activity that we're trying to incent and grow in this in North Carolina. You know, it's, it's, it is a burgeoning economy. And one of the great things about North Carolina and our economy is that it is fairly diverse. 
from the military in the east to some of the traditional things that have declined to this new growing knowledge-based economy we have in our state. It's not developed just on one specific sector. And, and quite honestly, we think that the green economy is going to be a real important part of our future. So whatever we can do to help incent and grow that. And let me add, too, the Green Business Fund is, is just one measure of you know, over 3,000 bills have been filed this so, so far, this, this General Assembly. Uh, dozens and dozens have been filed by legislators to support biofuels development and, and, and production in North Carolina. So I've referenced some specific initiatives that we're engaged in, but there are lots of other, everything from the research capacity to second generation biofuels to, again, production distribution. So, um, but let me just add this last little caveat. Um, introducing the bills does not in itself get them passed. I mean, we need advocates such as yourself to pick up the phone, to write letters to your local delegation and your legislators and let them know how important this is, not only for you personally or the businesses you're involved with, but for the future of this state. I mean, it's sort of through that collective will is the way this will get done. And so we, we, I certainly ask for your support with the Green Business Fund, but the many other pieces of legislation that we've referenced. Um, Price of Harrison clearly on the House side and Representative Joe Tolson have put in numerous pieces of legislation, everything from tax incentives to research dollars. But again, we're facing a very tight budget this year in North Carolina. And, and while, they're, while they're sitting there sort of listing priorities, this is the opportunity now to weigh in with them to let them know what your priorities are and help shape that in the General Assembly. So. Okay, it's just that the... I'll just say a word about the federal level. Uh, there is no doubt that um, most of these federal programs are merit-based, competitive grant programs. There is a somewhat bureaucratic process that's involved in competing for them and winning for them. And I think for any small business, a part of your evaluation of each opportunity and the strategy that you would develop to see whether federal funding is right for you is kind of a cost-benefit and what kind of return on investment you can get from the effort. However, there are programs, that being said, so it may not be right for everyone, and every program may not be right for everyone. Um, the biorefinery um, or renewable energy systems program that I mentioned when I gave my original remarks is a program in which, um, from personal experience, we helped a company right on it last year. It took about four person weeks of effort. So pretty, pretty big amount of effort for a short and intense period of time. Yet um, they were awarded a half a million dollars within like three, three months after uh, they submitted the application as a grant award. So you kind of have to look to the amount of effort that you have to put in it, what your chances of success are, and then what your return on investment will be. And there are programs out there. There's a whole portfolio of programs that you can um, kind of get a return on investment if you're a small company. But certainly, I would never pretend that every program is right for uh, every party. But I'd say even for you, sir, there's probably something that would, would probably be worth your while. Just a very brief add-on to what's been said in response. Um, uh, <clears throat> we know that um, when you're a small business, you don't have uh, a corporate counsel on staff. Uh, you don't have a lot of the, the kinds of administrative ex expertise uh, on staff already included in your budget that uh, helps you to work through the application process for this kind of opportunity. That's why it's important to have that kind of liaison staff 
in places that administer these programs, like the State Energy Office, so that you can contact them and get help working through, you know, do you qualify, what can, can you do that would take advantage of the program and that would provide public benefit and help you access that assistance. Uh, and I would suggest that that's one of the reasons that it's important to fund our State Energy Office at a level sufficient to provide this kind of assistance to our small businesses. I want to ask a, a question of Dan. Um, off the subject of small business and local governments, but getting back to the subject we heard at lunchtime about global warming, North Carolina has a global warming commission, and advising that commission is the North Carolina Climate Action Plan Advisory Group, which Dan sits on. And I'm curious to know uh, how little old North Carolina is thinking strategically about these huge global issues. Well, frankly, when you look at North Carolina compared to other states in, in America, we're not little old North Carolina anymore. Um, we're a, about 10, I think, on the population uh, scale nationally now. And so that means that um, our carbon economy, our, our output of greenhouse gases is going to be larger than a, than a great many small countries. Um, you know, we're not as big as California, which ranks up in the top 15, I think, of national economies worldwide, but, uh, but we're substantial. Uh, and one of the things that uh, we're in the process of looking very hard at uh, in North Carolina is participation in regional and national agreements among states on cooperative efforts to, um, to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions uh, and to get involved in programs that uh, provide um, greenhouse gas trading opportunities uh, with those that are looking in the world economy uh, for uh, opportunities to buy uh, credits uh, from uh, other institutions and, and uh, businesses and jurisdictions that can more efficiently than they can elsewhere um, provide that, that reduction credit. You've heard about that in the news nationally. Uh, and North Carolina is looking at being one of the states that are leading the way in making that uh, cap-and-trade system into a reality. It's a real economic opportunity for our state, and we want to uh, get involved in it. It's another one of those things that's good for the environment and good for our economy, so it's a double green win. Um, what we're doing in North Carolina uh, through the State Legislative Study Commission uh, on Global Climate Change and, and is to look at ways North Carolina can be more effectively involved in reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, in ways, again, that are as cost-efficient as possible so that we're saving green on both levels. Uh, and the Climate Action Plan Advisory Group is currently involved in putting together technical recommendations for the Legislative Study Commission on strategies and alternatives for how we can do that most effectively. Uh, I'm sitting on a couple of the technical working groups uh, in the Climate Action Plan Advisory Group, one of which is uh, transportation and land use. Uh, and is including alternatives in the area of biofuels development uh, where we can be a national leader uh, and uh, fleet efficiency uh, development alternatives where we're working in, in the triad in, in Greensboro and Winston-Salem and other localities here to be state leaders. Is that the kind of information? That, yes. that very, very Any other questions from our audience? 
I'm uh, Patrick Harmon with the Hayden Harmon Foundation out of Burlington. I was just wondering for you city folks, when you start getting these efficiencies with uh, fuel savings, and I guess if you're doing some kind of energy stuff with the buildings, are you sort of tracking that money? It seems like it'd be a really good idea if you're saving X amount every year to roll that into other efficiencies, you know, and have a bigger pot of efficiencies, or maybe um, to get people public transportation incentives, or I mean, to get other air quality benefits and to spend less tax money to roll that. You know, if you track that, you could roll it into a bigger ball. It seems like, I don't know, just an idea. Thank you. I was ready for that question. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, if you're an elected official, uh, one thing you always like to do is uh, you know, get credit for the good things that you've done. Um, so we will definitely be tracking the progress that we're making in energy use and fuel efficiency. Uh, our city staff in Winston-Salem are currently uh, in the process of preparing their first annual report on savings from our new fuel efficiency policies. Uh, we implemented a, a, about three years before that um, a, a, a city uh, energy savings um, office. We have a full-time staff person who concentrates on that and they have been developing put, and putting forward for us to implement for some time now um, uh, approaches that we can use to reduce our city's energy use uh, such as things as simple as um, uh, taking our, our traffic signals from incandescent bulbs to LEDs. Uh, which not only saves uh, an enormous relative amount of, uh, of electricity in the traffic signal operation every year, it also saves a lot of money in maintenance over the long run. You know, the LEDs are, are more costly to install in the incandescent bulbs, but they don't have to be changed nearly as often, which saves directly in your maintenance and replacement costs. Uh, so, yes, uh, we are trying to, uh, to track what we're doing in areas like that and to provide feedback to the public on, on a regular basis on, on what, we're, what we're doing. Gary? Yes, um, as part of that fleet advisory board that I mentioned earlier, as we meet, we discuss where we're at in the current year as far as saving as, as compared to years past. And this is really our first full year of, of really seriously looking at the numbers but so far even just a year into it we were able to to realize uh, fuel savings and we're able to take that money and use it and apply it in our shop areas and we're able to maintain our current levels of service at the same price our our hourly um, labor rate for our shop has been able to maintain at about 20 20 to 23 dollars less than the than uh, what our dealerships locally are providing the same service for. So w as far as putting an actual dollar figure on how much we're saving, we know that we're saving a certain number of gallons per year. And I think as the program grows and develops, we'll be able to see it more and more over time, the, the true savings. Our maintenance costs are starting to, uh, you know, as we're adding vehicles to the fleet, it looks like your maintenance costs continue to rise. But, you know, overall in the big picture, our overall maintenance figures are starting to stabilize. And we think that's really a result of, of improved efficiencies, not only in maintenance, but you know, fuel efficiency. And, uh, and like I say, sometimes it's, it's hard to put a dollar, dollar figure on it, but we know that as, as more people get involved and we, we start looking at those numbers more closely, I think we will uh, realize a tremendous savings. 
Um, because of your respective areas of expertise, I was wondering if any of you had any advice concerning getting buses to run on biofuels. You're quite getting what on biofuels? Getting school buses. Bus, oh, school buses to run on biofuels. Uh, Ann Taswell probably is the, oh, there is Ann at the very back. She, she knows of some uh, pilot programs and funds through the Solar Center. Ann? Really, I think the, uh, the answer is that we need more funding for biofuels in North Carolina. That's what's stopping a lot of the school buses, and the, uh, the incremental cost. There is an incremental cost. We have B20 on our state purchasing contract. The fuel costs are provided by our, public, uh, our Department of Public Instruction. And with the petroleum prices escalating as they have been, they're just too cash-strapped to offer to pay for the biodiesel. Uh, you know, for the school district. So we need the PTAs. We need you and, you know, me as parents to be asking for that. And if they start talking it up, if we start talking it up on the local level, then the state will follow uh, with providing the funds somehow. That's my belief anyways. Robert Itis uh, from Asheville. Uh, I used to work with DOT, and now I'm uh, working with uh, rural uh, transportation systems. And I know that DOT does not allow diesel vans to be purchased, period. Our procurement has to change to allow DOT to get social service vans out that are diesel. Thank you. I'd make one quick comment. I, I, I think that's a good example of, um, and, and there are others, where there have been conflicting policies in state government, where you might have one department issue one policy that is counterintuitive to the direction of other policies out of other departments. And um, I think that's a good example of the type of policies that need to be reviewed and, and changed to support sort of the direction the state is now heading in. So thank you for that comment. And two, it's an example of a policy that might have made sense when it originally came out, but the most recent uh, standards that have been implemented on the, uh, the emissions uh, cleanup for new diesel engines makes that a, a, a much more attractive alternative uh, than it used to be. Um, the particulate uh, emissions are going to be way down from the new vehicles that are going to be available beginning, I think, this model year. Uh, and in fact, uh, uh, the new uh, vehicles are, I, I believe, going to be quite popular. Um, uh, they're on back order. The Winston-Salem was interested in ordering some new diesel cleaner uh, uh, engines and um, we're told we couldn't get them until sometime next year. I'm Millie Heyman with the North Carolina Division of Air Quality and I'd like to follow up that question about getting school buses running on biofuels. Um, with just a statement that I'd like to see more public transit buses running on biofuels. And um, I know in response to an inquiry I made to my local transit system, um, the, the problem seemed not to be so much funding-based, although I'm sure that may be an issue, as just a perceived, you know, fear of any kind of maintenance or engine warranty issues. For me, this is as much a public health as an air quality issue. 
Um, the times I've taken the bus, I've seen that the buses do idle quite a bit in these big central bus depots. I realize they need to do that to keep their air conditionings running, especially during the summer. But there are people who take the bus every day who have no choice but to sit there in those depots and breathe that diesel fume. And um, so I think that's something that we ought to be quite concerned about. Thanks. Thank you. Any more? Michael, did you have any, one other comment? Uh, just a quick comment on the health aspect of, of some of our discussion today. I'd like to pull it put a plug in for the, if you've not reached out to them or looked at them as a resource, but the North Carolina Health and Wellness Trust Fund uh, has a program called Fit Communities. And essentially it's, it's uh, again, a sort of a convergence of, of different interests between sort of energy efficiency and health. They're coming at it from a health aspect, but they're helping to give grant monies and, and funding to local municipalities to help their communities become more walkable to, to sort of cut down on, on, on some of the traffic congestion, cut down on some of the energy that's used in traffic. But coming at it from a, from a childhood obesity, coming at it from a health and wellness perspective, and so you're talking about all kinds of things from greenways and parks to, but again, a convergence of different types of interests of some of the things that we're talking about today, but more from a health perspective. So if you've not taken a look at, uh, you can find them on the website, it's North Carolina Health and Wellness Trust Fund. Uh, it's part of the tobacco settlement funding that comes out, and they've launched out a, a multi-million dollar uh, statewide funding initiative to help in that regard. So I'd encourage you to pass that along to your folks there at a local level. Hey, and I did want to just, while we're killing a little bit of time, I did want to put a plug in for Senator Janet Cow, uh, another bill that I would hope that you would help support. She's put in a bill to uh, require that uh, in state construction, so we're talking about universities, et cetera, would be required to use lead standards and a, and a fairly high level, of, I think silver level of lead standards in, in all new state construction and retrofit of existing construction. So we're talking about a, a, a very dramatic shift in terms of the way we build buildings in North Carolina and making them more energy efficient. And, uh, I just put a plug in for her and that piece of legislation carbon and greenhouse gases. And so thought I'd just pass that along as well. Thank you.